I love Carla Youngblood, and she's written this wonderful book called Cancer Ain't Funny, Laugh Anyway, One Woman's Journey Through Breast Cancer, Laughing All the Way, Almost. Not only is she a writer, she's a comedian, a, a certified public accountant, a motivational speaker. She lives right here in Birmingham, Alabama. I met her probably five or six years ago, have followed her closely, and just enjoy everything she does. She graduated from Birmingham Southern with a bachelor's degree in accounting, got another degree from UAB in communications. When she's not on stage, she is working on her next project, which she talks a little bit about. She gives us a little bit of a tease in the podcast. If you want to know more about Carla, if you want to order her book, you want to find out when she's performing her comedy, visit her website at www.keepyoulaughing.com. Enjoy the interview. It's another episode of Where You Are, and I am here in Hoover at my apartment with Carla Youngblood, a.k.a. The Truth, who is the author of the book Cancer Ain't Funny, Laugh Anyway, One Woman's Journey Through Breast Cancer, Laughing All the Way, Almost. (laughs) And Carla is a comedian, also formerly an accountant, right? That's correct. And she's done a lot, several shows around town, lots of stand-up around the country, actually. And I find her to be one of the funniest people that I have ever seen perform. I've seen you perform many times. Awesome. So, Carla, we'll start with what made you want to write this, this book? You know, I wanted to write that book so I could get others to see cancer from a different perspective. For those who's gone through it, I want them to look at it with a different eye. And for the people that are on the outside looking in that has no experience with it, I kind of want to give a little insight. So in other words, they can kind of understand somebody else's journey before they're quick to judge it. What did you find the reception to this book has been like? Are there people who were maybe put off at first by the title? Well, you know, I hadn't ran across anybody thus far, and they're yeah. sorry they haven't said it to me. That's you know, right. They've been thinking, okay, I don't know if I want to say this to her or not. But thus far, I've been getting excellent responses to it, saying, you know, people who've experienced cancer, they said it was like, man, I wish I'd had this book when I was going through, because you made me see things in such a different way. I would have had a better attitude when I was going through it. There's so much funny stuff in this box. I know you haven't read it yet, but one of my favorite things, what was the one I was telling you just before she got here? Oh, uh, the food. The food at the, the food at the survivor meeting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you care to tell that story? No, not, not at all. Not at all. You know, After I was diagnosed and going through everything, they have all these different survivor groups. And, you know, they're sponsored, so they have this wonderful free food. But when I first went, that was not my intent. It was to go. I thought I could go and make a difference with the group and share my story and make a difference. But when I got there, I noticed the stories was kind of unique and kind of (laughs) sob and sappy. And I didn't quite care for it too much. And I noticed, but they had good food. So I kept going back. And then find myself, sometime I would go and eat and then make excuses saying, y'all, I just came to say hi, but I got to go. I'm just going for the free lunch. Because really, you know, a lot of times, and you do, you suffer so many different things afterwards, and everybody's attitude is not like mine. And, you know, sometimes I would hear people say, well, you know, now my left eye twitches, and I've been doggone, I go home blinking, thinking, oh, that mine go out there. I got it, I think I got it. And so I'm like, you know what, I didn't want that in my head, so I just kind of try to avoid those type things. But the food is good, and every now and then I'll pop in, get a little bite to eat, and I'm gone. <laughs> what well, got me so, I, I was telling Fox, because I reread parts of this last night. I took okay. a little retreat by myself. Sometimes I do that just to kind of get away from the normal and meditate and, you know, think positive thoughts or whatever. Awesome. I want to tell you something, by the way. This morning I was, I had this little, I had this little stone that my um, massage therapist slash Reiki therapist gave me. Okay. It's, it, he called it a grounding stone. And this morning I had it in my hand. This is the truth. Okay. And I had, you know, been going back through your book and reading it and laughing and all that. And the last part of your book really inspires me. And I was standing there holding that grounding stone. And I was like, there is a reason that I, this book came into my life right now. Because it's so inspiring to me that you were an accountant for 
several decades, oh, right? Oh, exactly, decades. And you and you always were comedian. You always were funny, but you kind of came to into professional comedy later in life. Later in life. And you really took matters into your own hand, producing your own shows, you know, uh, booking your own shows, exactly. traveling on your own. That's inspirational to me. And I stood there really realizing that you are a direct inspiration for me because that's something, you know, I've been teaching for a while and was in retail before that. And I really do feel the urge to go on and do something exactly. like comedy and performing and things like that. Okay. So I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. But it's good to hear that. What cracked me up so much was <laughs> when you <laughs> told that story about the um, free food, you were like, well, I guess I can't do that as much anymore. Exactly. And I don't <laughs> show up I... as much. They often, I see them and they be saying, oh, I haven't seen you. And I say to myself, they haven't read the book. <laughs> When they read the book, they'll know. But there's sort of a common theme in your book, and I like this, that when you were diagnosed and while you're going through chemo, you tried to stay away. You did stay away from the negativity, but there's so much out there. People want to tell you things when they find out you've been diagnosed. How do you deal with that? You know, when I was first diagnosed, this girl reached out to me, and she was like, call me, call me, and I called her. And her story about scared me to death. I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be a nightmare. And after that, I was like, you know what? I'm not hearing anybody else's story. I'm not receiving any negativity. I'm not going to take it in. And so when I would see people in there, they'd go, oh, call. I'm like, hey, got to see you. Know, yeah. I still, people thought I was losing my mind because I stayed on the go. Certain people who I knew they just had a negative attitude, I did not receive their phone calls. You know, I know people had good intentions, but I just stayed away. And so a lot of people thought, oh, she's over there having a hard time because she shut down. But I was over there living the life, forcing my way to get through this, but keeping a positive attitude. Oh, yeah. You know, I just refused people to tell me. You know, one girl called and she was like, if you can't get out of bed and get water, just let me know and I'll come. Ooh. And I'm thinking, okay. Mark won't talk to her again for a year. (laughs) And so, you know, I just kind of blocked it out because people, and they mean well, and plus that's the experience that they're used to. But I just refused to accept that. I didn't know what to accept, you know, what I was going to deal with and how I was going to do it. But I wasn't going to go in defeated. Mm -hmm. I was determined not to go into this defeated. And so I just really didn't talk to a lot of people. Yeah, My circle at that time was very limited. Yeah, you talk in the book, I know, about your, your uh, uh, two... I got a two-live crew. Two-live crew. Yes. Yeah. And yes. I know one of the women in that group, but it's a group of women. Yeah, it's yeah. a group of women, and like I said, you know, it's amazing. We've got a couple of sister sets in there. These people have been friends over 40, 50 years. These been friends 10 years. But somehow the nine of us just got together, and we just stuck like glue. Yeah. And they were so supportive. They was encouraging. It was as if... But they told me I encouraged them because when they would come around, I would just be so happy to see them. But because I was so encouraged, they just brought in more and more light. They was feeding off my energy and I was feeding off theirs. And so it was just good to have them around and to bounce that positivity off one another. It was really good. I love reading the book because I've known you for several years, but we're not, you know, bosom buddies. We don't hang out all the time or anything. Right. But it was nice to get some really deeper insight into the experience that you went through that I was watching from like Facebook or, you know, exactly. Uh, Cause I loved when you and Sonia shaved your head. That yes. was so great. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I'd already put it out there because that's one thing I've learned. If you don't tell your story, somebody else will yeah. and they won't tell it right. And so after I got the diagnosis and I put it out there to Facebook, cause like you said, I was doing comedy before I was diagnosed. And so I had some, fans and so I wanted to keep people abreast what was going on and the very first night I first morning I got up and saw hair on my pillow I'm like I'm not waiting for this yeah and so I decided I was gonna shave my head show the video and I added Janet Jackson's song to it control (laughs) I was taking control of my situation yeah and I want to show people that to let them know you know what it's hair, and we love our hair, but you know what? Right now, it's got to go. It's leaving me, so before it walks away from me, I'll get rid of it, and that yeah. was what I did. That's awesome. I remember watching that video and just being so inspired, and you may not have wanted us to be inspired. Maybe that's well, too you know, serious. And, and, and you know? it was inspiring, and, but that was my goal, was to inspire people to let them know, you know what? You go through stuff, 
But and, and key word that I used there, and that's my thought process, I was going through it. I was not going to be stuck there. That was not going to be my story for the rest of my life to say this is where I am. I was going through it, and I'd be able to look back and share that in hopes to inspire somebody else. Yeah. Oh, you inspire people. I remember going to see you at the Carver Theater, which apparently was your first. That was my very first, yes. yes. It was called, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, it was your one-woman show, though. It was a one-woman show titled The Truth About Breast Cancer. Yes. And I went to that, and I think some of your doctors were there, and there were breast cancer survivors yes. there. And you had, I think that was the time you were wearing that white outfit with the pink underneath. That's correct. Oh, my goodness, Jimmy. You were on point. I, I like that. I was so moved by that. Because here's what I, first of all, it's hysterical. You are hysterical. But there was a moment in that where you were dancing. And I don't remember what the song. I want to say Diana Ross, but I don't know. Yeah. You were dancing and everybody was dancing with you. And there was just this connection that we all had. Right. It was amazing. Yeah, And, you know, and that was what I was hoping for. I was hoping when I did that dance that everybody would join in and feel it. And it worked. Yeah. It, re- it, it really did. And so really that did. was the goal. And it, 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 can't, it happened. And now... Was that the first time that you had done your, uh, is it Graham, what's the name? Grandma <laughs> Truth. <laughs> was that the first time Grandma Truth came yeah, out? Yeah, baby, Grandma came out, she came to see us. But yeah, she just shows up every now and then, and she just takes control. <laughs> I love Grandma Truth. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How did you come up, is she based on like your own grandma? You know what, or? she's based on my own grandmother, she's based on my mom, she's based on my aunts, you know, she's based on the women that I was surrounded with in my life, which is my aunts, my mom, and my grandmother. Yeah, that's great. She's hysterical. Then I saw you again, I think it was the second year you did that show at the Birmingham Southern... At Birmingham Southern College, and exactly. You had, and I remember, I, I guess I didn't put together that you had produced all this, and that's what's so smart to me about what you did, but you had that guy playing sax was so good. There was a dancer. Yeah. But you had brought other talented people there and made it like a sh- like a show. Yeah, exactly. Are you going to do more of that? I do plan to do a lot more of that because the first show I did, it was intent. It was about the breast cancer. And so I wanted that to be a one-woman show. The next show, my goal was I wanted it to be a production. And so my goal was to add something else. And so when I brought in the sax, when I brought in the dancer, I wanted somebody to come in and be felt like they went to a performance and got a little bit of everything. That's what it was. That was my goal. So thank you for saying that. And then we saw you again. At, where was that? Uh, it was, it was a charity uh, event. Uh-huh. At the Boutwell, Boutwell Auditorium. Yes. At the Boutwell Auditorium. Oh, and that, there was a, a younger woman, I think, who sang. Yes. Oh, my Fifi gosh. Fifi Redman. Yes. So good. So good. She is amazing. And that's my goal to always now, to do the comedy shows and bring in other things. Because to me... I want a cultural experience yes. so you can get a little bit of everything when you come. So, you know, some people, they come into the comedy show and they like that. But there's nothing like a little music. There's nothing like a little spoken word. Oh, yeah. And so to me, when you put it all together, you have a true production. And I that's my that. goal. It's so good. There's something really that speaks to like what I think you are as an artist and as a person. There's something very unique about you. And that's sort of, I can't put my finger on it, but that's kind of what it is. There's like a... You bring other people together through your humor. It's okay. very positive. You have very positive, but, but funny. You know, some like clean comics are really boring. Right. But, they can't they can, they can be. <laughs> but you're not boring at all. I know you're influenced by uh, Bernie Mac. Yes. I read this in the book. And I already knew this. Wanda Sykes. Yes, Wanda Sykes. What is it about them that you like so much? Well, with Bernie Mac, it was just the way that he was so real. He was so real, and he talked about things that are just everyday life, and that's pretty much what my comedy is based on, just everyday life and everyday people. And Wanda Sykes, she has a way of grabbing your attention and make you pay attention. She's a good storyteller, and if you're going to tell a story, it's better be good to hold their attention to get to that long punchline. But she's a good storyteller. Yeah. And so between the two of them, that really is just a good mesh that I enjoy. Well, something I had never thought of, and I consider myself an amateur comedian. Okay, awesome. I've, I've never done stand-up. I've, I've done two one-man shows okay. in 10 years. So Okay. But but you've done them. That's different, though. When, I, one thing I had not thought of when I was reading your book is you got you got you kind of got into the technical part of timing. Right. And now there's the timing of the punchline. Right. There's also the timing of how much time you have on stage. Exactly. Like, what is a typical set in a stand-up? Uh, a typical set depends on, one depends on how long it is, but still, with, regardless of how long it is, you've got to be able to set it up in time to where 
one, you get a good setup, you get everybody's attention. And me, I'm a storyteller where you can tell a story, but in that big story, you've got about five or six little stories. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you got those small jokes that's incorporated in there in the midst of this one big story that I'm telling. And in the midst of trying to time it out, when I do my sets, when I first got started, everywhere you go to do open mic, you get five minutes. You get five minutes. And my two live crew, and I tell them, I say, when I make it real big, I say, I'm going to take real good care of you ladies. Because whatever I was doing those five minutes, they kept showing up. And so I told myself, if they can take the time, one, they got to pay to get in and take the time to keep coming to these shows for me to do five minutes, I can't give them the same five minutes. Mm. And so I was constantly oh writing new material, constantly writing new material, because I felt I owed that to them to keep coming. They couldn't hear the same material. And right. they're like, oh, we know where she's going. <laughs> we know what this joke is. So they made me a better writer. They yeah. made me a better comedian. And so now when I get ready to do 25 minutes, 45 minutes, I can take those five-minute segments, and I know how long they're going to be. And so if I go somewhere, if I'm performing, and they say, okay, you're scheduled to do 45, can you do 35 instead because something has happened? I know what jokes now I can take out that's going to run so many minutes, and so it's easy for me to cut it down without tearing up my set that I prepared. That accountant brain helps you with that. That it? really does. And I said, I said, you know what, that structure and those numbers just really plays a lot into that's it. That's impressive. It is. It's like, and plus it helps me count those dollars real fast. (laughs) (laughs) I can count the dollars real fast. So that makes a big difference. So, but really it does. And now in actual comedy clubs, and plus if you're on professional shows where you're being paid to perform a certain amount of time, you are held to that amount of time. Mm -hmm. You know, within 30 seconds, you can be short. Within 30 seconds, you can be longer. But when you get past a minute or two, they are furious with you Mm -hmm. because now you're cutting into somebody else's time. Or if you go short, now somebody else got to make up your time. See, and I never thought about it. What problem that would be? Going short is also not good. Going short is not a problem because now somebody else has to make up your time. But going long, you don't want to go longer. You're not the headliner. We were at the comedy club at the Stardome the other okay. day. Do you want to tell her about the stoner? I'll tell her. Oh, yeah. please do. Oh, gosh. Well, I've got so many things to ask you about comedy. Okay. Really more like the te- back behind the stage, behind the scenes stuff. But okay. we were there and Fox said, because I was, this guy was bombing. Okay, there's the host. He was great. I don't remember his name. He's from New Orleans. Funny. Had the crowd going. And, you know, then the first, I guess, act came out. Okay. The opening act. I don't remember his name. And I wouldn't want to say it anyway. Okay. But he bombed so bad. There was a policeman in the front row that night. And the first guy picked on him a little bit. Okay. This next guy went for the, his throat. And I thought it was really unfair because we don't know that cop. I mean, right. You know what I mean? He was really rude to him. And the, the cop ended up shooting him a bird. And oh, the, wow. And you could tell everybody wanted this man off the stage, but he kept saying, I've got 10 minutes, I've got five minutes, I've got... I mean, he could, if he had left, it would have been really bad for Matt Reif, who I do remember is the comedian that came at last. Right. And but Fox said, and I'm going to ask you this, Fox said, how do they know how much time they have? And I was like, have they internalized it? Or is there a clock up here? Or? There is most, most professional comedy clubs, there's a clock somewhere yeah. that's in our, our level that we can see whether it's going to be back in the very back of the room or it's going to be over in that corner. So you can just kind of barely glance. When you glance to your left or you to your right, you can see that big clock. Yeah. With them big numbers on it. <laughs> and you know what kind of time. So when you're smart, if you're really paying attention, when you first walk out and when you grab the mic, you look at that clock wherever it is and you hit it in your head. Okay, I better get off stage at this, at this time. Okay. So you know how far you need to, what time is time to get off. So you're kind of trapped if you're bombing. Uh, and that's just it. You're trapped if you're bombing. And that's why you have to, one, come out and try to connect with the audience. That's your first thing to do is connect with the audience. And two, in my mind, the way I like to do it, if you find yourself that they're not connecting with that, always have something in your back pocket to go to that works with any crowd. And so you have to just de- you know, almost like deviate from that first set and go somewhere else. But you have some people 
They'll try to attack the crowd like y'all just not getting it. That never works. He did that. They'll pick on the people in the audience. That really doesn't work because my thing is that's something I don't ever do. Nobody pays to go to a show to be talked about. Right. I don't care how fun it is. I mean, it could be hilarious, but nobody pays to go to a show to be talked about. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is write your material and perform it. Now, I will say this. Walk in a show 15 minutes late, you going to get talked about. <laughs> it's, com- it's, it's coming because now you've made yourself a part of the show. Yeah. You've made yourself a part of the show. Let a waitress drop something. You've made yourself a part of the mm-hmm. show. So now if something happens in the midst of it, now you're making yourself part of the show, unfortunately. Yeah. But just to come out and say, oh, man, I'm that green jacket there. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. I because you know what? That green jacket, I went and bought it just to come see you. And right. now you're going to talk about it. Yeah. How rude. Yeah, and you you don't do anything like that. Oh, no, ever. No. I, one of the things that I've thought, okay, so about, was it last year when I said, okay, I'm going to go do some open mics. Okay, okay. Remember this? And we went, I won't say where. I, I'm not, what I'm about to say, I hope it doesn't sound rude, but we went somewhere to an open mic to an open mic okay. and I had some material no I didn't I wasn't going to go I was just going to see what it was like going to observe just to observe and get back in the environment and exactly you got to ease into it well yeah. then okay. I, and and I remembered I had when we took that we took a class at art play one time the first time I met you was with that st- playwriting 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 class. class and I went to see you one night at, this was at a club on 7th Avenue somewhere I don't uh-huh. even think it's there anymore but it's not um and so I'd seen you do it and I thought okay I'm going to try it Years later. Okay. And I was, it was all, I don't know how to say this. They were all about the same age. They were all white. Uh-huh. They were all, no, they weren't all white. There was, there was a, yeah, you're right. But it was, a lot of the jokes were about, like one guy kept joking about his, you know, private parts. Right. And I thought, I, I just felt like such an outsider. I didn't feel like I wanted to get up in front of them. Is that me making excuses? Because um, no, you did it. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's you making excuses, because one thing I've noticed when I go to open mics and for the novelists when they're getting started, the first thing they want to do is talk about their body parts, mm. and everybody has them. Nobody wants to talk about them. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we all want to participate, but we don't want to talk about them. Yeah. But like I was telling my brother the other day, I said you can craft a joke about something, and it could be sexual, and it could be in front of the church crowd. But if you're not saying all those words, they can still get it. Give you an example. I told them, I said, I went to the grocery store the other day. I said, every time I get ready to use my debit card, I'm always nervous because I don't think there's enough money in the bank. I said, sure enough, I only had four items. I had some cucumbers, bread, bologna, and I had some gum. I said, when she swiped that card, it didn't go through. Oh. I had a choice to make. I said, now I can eat the bread. I can eat the bologna. I said, but now with the cucumber, <laughs> with the cucumber, I said, okay, y'all can figure out what I bought. Y'all can figure out what I bought. Now, I didn't say anything dirty. Right. But everybody mind goes where I wanted to go because I'm taking it there. Yes. And I've still got a lot to learn. But you can go there without going there. Yeah. And a lot of times they don't. And when you're at the open mics, it's like, come on, how many times we got to talk about it? We know you got it. It's there. You know, if you really want to tell a joke or something, pull it out. Let us live then something. But yeah, yeah, it can sound dumb. I don't think he was making excuses. I, I got to get back in there. One of the things <clears> I'm not. You definitely got to. I want to try. I know that. Well, that brings us to, a, that's a good transition into your teaching a class about uh, stand-up, right? And public speaking and yes. other things. I'm teaching a class and it'll be started. As a matter of fact, Tuesday, February the 4th. Okay. And it's, it's called More Than Stand-Up. And the reason I titled it more than stand-up, because one, I will be teaching the art of how to counter craft jokes, meaning as in writing them, the way their setups are and the way they should go. But as well, I want to get people comfortable in standing in front of others, because some people are just afraid to stand in front of others and speak. Mm-hmm. And so with that combination, I think somebody will be able to get started, and they'll be ready to go and do some open mics and to really get started if that's what their desire is. Awesome. And that's with Art Play. That's with Art Play, which is a part of the Avis Stevens uh, with UAB. Okay. How long will that class run? Like six weeks? Like? Uh, that one's going to run eight weeks. Eight weeks. It's okay. going to be eight weeks, and it's going to be two hours on Tuesdays from six to eight. 
Well, if I can find a slot, I may jump. I may jump in there. Hey, jump in there, cause I like you just got the itch. I do. And you need to scratch. I need to do it. I need to. And I, I you know, I've never really. I can tell a story on stage, right? But jokes are different. I mean, I know that you can have a joke in the middle of a story, right? Like what you just did was a joke, right? I'm not so good at writing those. Uh, you're probably much better than you think you are. Yeah. You well, probably much better than you think you are. You take that out. class and you probably be the star pupil. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. I mean, I, but what else are you working on? I know you're going to do that class. Um, Is there anything you can tell us that you're working on? I know you may want to keep some stuff uh, to yourself. Well, right now, one, I got the class that's coming up. And I'm constantly scheduling to go and perform all around. Most of my comedy uh, performances are right now a lot of private uh, events and corporate events, which I really like because they're easier to do. And when I say easier to do, pretty much I'm it. I'm going. I got my time set and I'm going to go and I'm going to be, I'm the show. Whereas if you're in a club, you know, you're either in a lineup Mm -hmm. and you got several shows to do back to back where I can go and do my show. I'm in and out and mix and mingle with the people and meet new people. And so corporate, a lot of corporate and private events, what I'm working on. And also I'm working on the second book. Are you really? I am. I'm working on an anthology. It's going to be 10 short stories. Oh, cool. And it's going to be a combination of everything in there. It's going to be a little murder mystery in there. It's going to be a lot of love in there. You know I can't write a book without comedy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of everything in this book. That is so exciting. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. It's like I, I, I didn't think I was going to like writing and get caught up in it, but I really like it. Oh, I'm going to tell you. I told Fox this is it really is the story is so well told i mean i haven't i don't frequently laugh out loud when i'm reading a book okay david sedaris makes me laugh out loud okay but this book made me laugh out loud so many times and some of them some of the jokes i had heard in your ad like exactly with, with the prosthetic boobs exactly take them boobs off you don't know where they are <laughs> you don't tell it in the book you mention it about fighting with you were <laughs> weren't you fighting with a little kid over your prosthetic? Oh, yeah, I had to fight with him. <laughs> I love that whole story about there not being any in your color, and it's just I don't want to give all the jokes away, but that's really funny stuff. But it's also moving. You have a way, like I can. There's something about you. It doesn't seem like you want to be. It's not that you can't be serious, right? But you don't want to be a sad sack. You know right. I mean? Yeah, I definitely and don't want to be a sad sack. <laughs> even though you're telling a serious story that's very poignant, you've got a very clear point, it's also hysterically funny. Well, thank you, Jimmy. That means a lot coming from you. See, talks about who's been teaching English and lit. <laughs> you know, I was in this and the true story. I was really thinking to myself, I said, now, when I really said it, I said, now, when Jimmy reads this book, I said, now, when I get his feedback, <laughs> that'll be something I can take to the bank. I know I need to go and do a withdrawal and do some changes. Because, you know, when somebody who's, they read, they write, they teach, you know, they're going to really read, read. And it's going to make a difference to be like, him, you know, I was thinking he may say, you know what, I can't even get through this book. But, you know, so that's good to hear that you're able to read it and really take in the story. It, the, story is, the story is so well told. You're such a natural storyteller. Um, and even the way you structure the chapters okay. is nice. I love the photographs in there. They emphasize everybody listening to this when Carla went through chemotherapy she made she took a picture of every after every treatment right yes after every treatment I took pictures I was like okay let's go and the nurses were like oh my goodness and some of the other patients start catching on because and like I said that was one of the reasons when I first said let me really get started with this book I had the thought in mind but I really got started after that second or third treatment chemo treatment to walk in that room and see all those people and everybody had such a sad face. It was as if we was walking. And, you know, it was like walking in the hair because when you're going through chemo, it can be rough and tough. But everybody was so sad looking. And it was like, okay, I got to add a little sunshine in this room. And so I was just going there talking like I do. And when I'm taking the pictures at the end and holding up the fingers, supposed to be walking by smiling and waving. And before I know it, I start seeing other people doing it. Yeah. And so that was motivating to me to see that somebody else would see it and catching that light that I was trying to shine. 
I may not have ever told you this. I don't know. My sister had brain cancer. Okay. And she passed away probably, what, 2000? Oh, you, wouldn't, you, weren't, even, you weren't even around then. Oh, okay. Um, she passed away in 2012 or 11. But I remember going to St. Vincent's to some okay. of the chemo treatments that she went to. And I know that same... You know, you know that video. She wasn't really that way, though. Towards the end, I think she really hated going. I mean, she was just, it made her, I'm not trying to be a sad sack. I'm not. Oh, no, no, no. But, but I just can say as someone who's been through cancer with someone. Exactly. You're who, a co-survivor. Yeah. Who eventually didn't At have the same ending that you had. Right. This is, this is still important because we used humor. My sister and I used humor all the time. She used to say, because she would go to Duke for some treatment. She lived longer than they thought she would. They, they, oh, really? People thought she'd be gone in six weeks, and she lived six years. Oh, wow. So she got see, to see her kid, you know, one of her kids graduate high school. She got to see things she wouldn't have. That she thought she would not right. get a chance to see. So, and, and I remember, uh, anyway, I'm going to go, I don't want to go off too much on it, but she used to say things at the airport like, um, like if there was a problem with her seat, you know, well, I do have cancer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so she would use the cancer card when she had to. But um, I remember someone, I won't say who, saying right after her diagnosis, well, because this is why I really respond to your stories, because I know how, what negative ninnies people can be. Okay. She, this one person in the family said, well, I guess she won't be with us at Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. And I wanted, I didn't say it, but I wanted to say, you could get hit by a bus when and you walk you out that door. you won't be with us tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That negative, horrible thing. And my sister said, at first she was like, why me? And then she said, why not me? And she was very positive and all that through the whole thing. So I, that's why I, I, one reason I personally respond to your okay. story is awesome. that she was positive and she, we all had humor and were able to deal with it, you know? In a different light. Okay. Um, and I think this is an important thing for people who are facing cancer. I know people now who are facing cancer, you know, I think right. we all do. But the other thing I want <laughs> to get back to the funny thing, something about the talk about chemo where you're supposed to put that, <laughs> your skin, no, was it radiation where your skin might crack? Right. Carla, Fox, you haven't read this, would slather, they give you this cream. <laughs> tell that story. I'm sorry. I, that just cracked me up. She yeah. would slather the cream on. They had to tell her to stop putting so much on. <laughs> yeah, you get this cream. The way you, you get this cream that you need to buy, and you put it on because as they continue to do the radiation, your skin dries very, very bad. And they want you to drink a lot of water, stay hydrated, and rub this cream on. And so I thought, man, last thing I want to do is crack. So, man, it was like taking a bath in that cream. I was using tube after tube. I was rubbing it everywhere. And they would go in. They was like, you can't come in here with that cream everywhere. We can't treat you like that. So they told me to slow down. But I really didn't slow down on the weekend. <laughs> I would have it so heavy, I fell out of bed one day. I just slid right off the sheets. It was like, oh, my goodness, I just slid it all too much. But, hey. I did not want to crack my skin. So, you know, hey, you've heard the saying, black don't crack. I don't think you know anything about radiation. <laughs> so I was going to give it a little extra help with that cream. That was totally. It's crazy all the things that can happen because of radiation, like you said. <laughs> that you don't have to wear deodorant anymore. I don't know what happened, and I don't know if that's true for everybody, but it's weird. They did. I don't know whether it was the chemo that did it, combination of the radiation or whatever. But hair doesn't grow under my arms like it used to. And for whatever reason, after I had the, um, got ready to start to have the surgery, and they told me, don't put on any deodorant. And then I went right into the radiation. You couldn't wear the deodorant. And so I don't know what happened. It's like my stank glands went away. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stank glands. I'm like, okay, what happened to my stank glands? But okay, bye. So as a matter of fact, I got a thing of deodorant at the house that's been there some years. It's probably no good. I need to just throw it away because I don't use it. I'm like, well, I don't know what happened, but hey, I'll take it. So see, to me, when I went through and still today, I look for benefits. Everybody was looking like, oh, all oh, everything. So hey, I was looking for benefits. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. some benefits, and you just have to look for them, <laughs> like it is for everything in life. So yeah, you gotta read the book, boss, and you're gonna see oh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, really, it's it's some benefits in there. And I found some of them. I um I I really really enjoy the book. So you've got the book. You have another one that you're working on. I got another on. one that I'm working on. You got the class. I got the class. I'm from um, are you doing like one time Carla and uh Carla and, and Sonia asked me <laughs> to do a short film with them. Yes. Are y'all it was so much, it was such a fun experience. Do you, are you doing any more like work like that in film or t- Well, as a matter of fact, I've written one and I'm looking at I'm going back now and retweeting it. As a matter of fact, I wrote it last year 
as I was getting ready to put the book out, and I had to decide which one was first. And so I decided the book was first. Mm -hmm. And so I have a little short film that I've written. I think it's about seven minutes. Okay. And um, I don't want to give it away. Yeah, don't give it but, away. Um, if, if you don't say, want to talk I, about it, that's but I, but No, but I've written it, and I'm looking at it now, and it doesn't have a lot of pe characters and everything in it, so I'm looking at a couple of people now to be in it, but it's called Choices. Okay. Choices. Called Choices. Yeah, so that leaves a lot of open things out there in mind when people first hear that. So, but I'm not going to give the subtitles or anything, but just choices. I I feel bad. I think of RuPaul's Drag Race. Well, you know what's so great about Carla Fox is that this uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because I think sometimes people focus so much on celebrities and what they accomplish and people who are famous and what they accomplish. Right. Okay. We have a wealth of talented, amazing people around us, and you're one of those people. You're writing. You're doing comedy. How do you? And you and you, and you're doing it. I mean, is it full time now? You know, I still have one accounting client that I just won't let go. Yeah. Just in case everything just come to a standstill, I enjoy eating. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to be able to miss out on that. So I got this one client that I hold tight to. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's full time and I'm keeping up with it. Like I said, I'm writing. I'm doing the comedy. I'm getting ready to teach, which I think is going to take my comedy to a whole nother level all by itself. I'm telling you, you will not learn anything better than when you teach it. Like, yeah, exactly. I've learned so much about writing and reading exactly. better and all that stuff from teaching English in the last 10 years. And so I'm excited about that. And another thing that I'm doing, I take a class. Uh, well, it's not a class. I'm in um, Toastmasters. What is that? I don't know what that is. Toastmasters, it's an international organization. Of course, and I don't know Well, clubs meet, and they have them all over in Birmingham. I don't even know how many they have. But you meet, and you just practice speaking. Okay. And you have your team members there, and they critique you, and you're just working on getting better at your speaking. And so this year, they're going to enter the international competition. Carla, that is so amazing. So that should be exciting. Where is it? Right now, I'm doing the club level, and so in a couple of, probably somewhere in March, I'll be doing the area competition, and when it takes place, I'll definitely let you know in advance, because okay. people can come and check it out. That okay. is so cool. And so, and then if you do the area, then you do the district, then you do the district, then you do state, and after you do the state, then you do international, so my goal is to keep pushing as far as I can with sure. it. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. How, well, let me ask this question. Okay. Do you, how much of the day do you write or do you write daily or is it in bursts here and there or as far as comedy is concerned i'm writing whenever it's a lot of times i'm not writing it all out but whenever i just see something that's interesting i got a pad in my purse now that i just write down yep. i'm like oh okay this is something i need to develop this is gonna be good this is gonna be good jokes and so I'm writing just notes about comedy all the time. But as far as to just sit down and write, I write when it hit me, or either sometime I schedule time. And I don't do it at home often sometimes, but I'll go to the library like I'm on a job. Okay. I'll pack a lunch. I'll go there at 9 o'clock, 12, 12, 30. I'll take a break, eat my little snack on my lunch, return phone calls, emails, shut it back down, continue to work to 5, 6 o'clock. Wow. When the library will close and go home. Oh, that's really cool. And so uh, you can really get a lot of good writing in because at that point, really, you know, you see people that they talk to, but you don't know them, and they're there doing what they're there to do. So you go to the library, put my headphones on, and I can just go and spend eight hours writing. But I, like I said, I break it up because I'll stop for lunch. I'll stop for a snack or something. And that's for comedy, or is it also the stories It's and mainly the for the stories, yeah. for the movies, if I'm writing a speech. Yes, and let's just say I've got so much material now, I look, look through my pen like, okay, I need to go and put some of that into order form for a stage. And I just go and do that and sit there. But it's hard to do that in the library because as I'm writing, sometimes I act out right then. <laughs> oh, sure. And so a lot of my comedy writing really takes place at home because as I'm writing, I'm working on my acting right along yeah. with it because a lot of times part of the joke 
It's when they can see it's it. It's in your body, too. Yeah. yeah, it's in your language. It's in your face. And so a lot of times I'm at home in front of the mirror. Because that's one thing, a luxury that we don't have here in Birmingham. We don't we only have one major comedy club. You got several spots now that are popping up where you can go and do open mics. And so I haven't had the luxury of trying out a lot of my material mm-hmm. at open mics. For the most part, when y'all see it, that's yeah. it. <laughs> Some of the jokes, I'm like, okay, this is the first time. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, you've been very, I wouldn't say lucky. I think it's the result of all that work. But you, ha- you in your book, you talk about the fact that you've never bombed. I've never, I ha- I've never bombed. Let me knock on wood, whatever it is. <laughs> I've never bombed. I've had shows that I felt like it wasn't my best. And I'll go home and listen to that because a lot of times, I, most of the times I record it. Because I want to go back and listen to it, and I want to go back and hear what I did say, what I didn't say, where I thought, oh, that's a little flat. Let's see what I can do to work that up. And a lot of times when I'm on stage, stuff come up that I've never said before. Yeah. And so I really want to catch those moments so I can go back and include it for the next time. Because sometimes you're doing stuff and jokes just come out of nowhere in my head while I'm on stage in the midst of a set. And I want to go back and be able to write that down. Yeah, that's important. I did. I did learn that just from the like two one man shows that I did. Okay. That something will come out of my mouth. Exactly. Well, that wasn't planned. I read that in your book. I was like, oh, if that happens, you have to write it down. Yeah, you want to write it down because especially if you feel like it was real good, because now I want to incorporate that into the set so I can make sure I use it the next time I do that piece. Absolutely. So yeah, yes, that's why I try to record it all the time so I can catch it and go back and listen and make it better every time. What, what drives you? What what is it that's driving you to do all this? At one time, when I first got started just doing the comedy, I just wanted to be in the entertainment industry. And now, after being diagnosed and surviving, I feel like I got a second chance at life. It's like everything I've ever thought of, I want to get it up and out of me. I don't want to die. Not like I'm dying anytime soon, nope. but I don't want to leave this world. And people saying, you know, she always wanted to do this. She always talked about doing that, and she never did it. Yeah. And so all the things that I've talked about doing, want to try to get it up and out now. And comedy is my base. Speaking is my base. But writing, it plays hand in hand with it. So it's, it's not a, a stretch. You know how some people, they want to play drums, and they want to do comedy. And you can do both. But it's like those two don't meet. Right. Whereas I feel like my speaking, my writing, all that meets with my comedy yeah. because I can take something that I've written in the book. I can take it and put it right on stage. Then I can take another part of it and just create a real speech out of it to go and present somewhere. Sure. And because a lot of times women groups and stuff, I'm not necessarily doing a comedy show, but I'm speaking. And in the midst of that speech, the joke's just going to flow right in because people love humorous speakers. You know, you hate when you go somewhere. Have you been to like a conference and it's like, Lord, when is it going to end? When is it going to end? I've been there, believe me, in education. I've been in science. I've been there. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And so when you don't have speakers to come in, that can kind of lighten it up a little bit. Because one thing I've been invited to do a lot now is when people are having the various seminars about a lot of the different cancers and the medicals, people are there speaking and they're talking in that t- high terminology. Then you have the people who've experienced it. And so you have so much of that going on. They're bringing me in now to close the day out on a high note. Yeah. So I go in and I perform at the end of the event or either in the middle to kind of bring it back up or something. Mm-hmm. And so I found that to be quite interesting. Yeah, I think that, again, that you are definitely in your lane. I mean, I have, there are a lot of people who think they're inspirational speakers and they're kind of not. Okay. I, in my experience, I have, not a lot, but I've been through some places where I've been in seminars or meetings or whatever, and they're like, we have a speaker coming. And I'm like, right. oh, okay. But you really have lived the, lived it and walked it and talked it. And, you know, you, you're, you're an inspiring person. You really are, and I am. I'm so I'm so glad that I know you, and I think that you came into my life for a real reason. I really do because I don't want to be that person that you just talked about. Right. I think that I've I walk a line. Okay, what's well, <laughs> you know up what on I mean? the fine line there? Yeah, and I need to get on jump over. on the other side. Yeah, I know that when I read your book and hear you talk, I know that God is very, very important to you. Yes. And I think that there was this really, some really powerful stuff for anyone who's listening to this who uh, needs to hear that. Not from me, but from Carla. Okay. Uh, 
there was some great stuff in here about how you would way before you ever had cancer, you right? Would yeah, I was confessing over my body, confessing over your body. What does that yeah. mean? In other words, I was speaking to my body, telling it what it was going to do, and I was keeping that in the back of my mind and always in the. And it's fun to keep it in the back and in the forefront, but it's always what I'm saying is speaking over my body, saying I'm healthy, I'm healing, I'm whole. My body operates in the perfection of which God created it to function. In other words, even when I was going through, I was still saying that same thing. So I was telling myself, you're going to make it, you're going to be able to survive this. Yeah, it happened, but so what? And I feel like, I really feel like, I tell people, God, give me counseling. No, I never believed that. But I did experience it, but I think it was for a reason that I could help some other people. Because when people see me now still, they go like, now, you see you had what? <laughs> and they say, I saw pictures of you back then. You didn't look like you were sick. And that's what that was my goal, not to look like I was sick. I said, but I didn't feel like I was sick. I knew my body had something in it that didn't belong, and we had to deal with it. But I, would, I refused to accept it. In other words, that was something in my body. That didn't belong there because it wasn't good. It wasn't healthy. So it didn't belong in my body. And my body had to get it out and release it. And so I feel like when we got everything taken care of, that's what it was. And still today, I'm healthy, healing, I'm whole. Yeah. And my body operates the way my mind operates with it. So do you have like a... Do you, do you pray like every day? I'm praying. More than once, I pray. I, exactly. <laughs> I wake up in the morning with a prayer. I'm thankful. And um, this didn't just start after cancer. No, no. That's always been my thing to pray. You know, my mom took us in believing in a higher power. And I tell people, I'm not trying to convince you of my God. Because people, you know, it, that can be a tricky subject. And people say, How do you believe in something you've never seen? And I said, Well, let's look at it like this. If you believe you're going to do something, a certain thing is going to happen for you, and you truly believe it, and it's almost as if you can, it's almost as if you're wishing something on yourself, as if you're just going to will it to happen, you're going to make it happen. I said, so just believing in something. And so when you can really believe there's something, because the wind is blowing, I can't see it, but I see the trees moving. Where is it coming from? Now, I get my scientists, and now they're going to get started about the water, the wind, <laughs> the rain, and they're going to go deep on me. But where'd the rain come from then? Where'd the trees come from then? And so I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything other than if you believe, if you believe whatever it is you believe, if you can convince yourself of that. And that's what I do. And my cousin tell me all the time. He get on me because I tell him, won't you just do it? Just do it. And he said, everybody's not like you. And I keep saying, what do you mean when you say that? He said, everybody can't tell their brain something and their brain follow that order. Like, give you a couple of examples. Like I may say, like I tell myself, you know what? I'm not drinking any wine in the month of February. And he said, how can you tell yourself that and you don't do it? Because I made up in my mind I'm not going to do it. And I enjoy wine. Mm-hmm. But if I decide I'm not going to drink any, I'm not going to drink it. If I'm not going to eat any fried chicken, I'm not going to eat any fried chicken. I love shrimp. Okay, no shrimp. You can, <laughs> you've overloaded on it. You can't have any for three months. And I back off it. But it's because you tell yourself what you are going to do. And I told him that's what I said in believing. You just got to believe that you can make certain things happen. And just believe that it's a stronger force behind it. Well, I do think... Not that I'm taking your brother's side. You do that. That is a strong will you have. Because I remember when I was trying to quit smoking many years ago, it took me a long time. Whereas I think you might have been able to just go, I'm not smoking those anymore. Uh, And you know, yeah, I think so. I truly do believe that. That you just can tell yourself that this is what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. But one of the things about the power of belief, even for people who don't believe in anything or think they don't believe in any higher power or whatever. People will people believe in the things they tell themselves, and if they tell themselves negative things, right, they can have a lot of belief in those negative things, and those things show up in your life. I mean, I see it as a teacher. Oh, I'm all sure that you that negative see it speak all the that, time. I can't do this. I'm no good. I'm not a good writer. I'm never going to learn this. Blah 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 blah. It's the imposter syndrome, like that a lot of kids don't think or students don't think they really deserve to be in college. Right, they feel like imposters, and I think that happens. A lot. And a lot of us, mere mortals, unlike you, Carla. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we'll say, no, 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 I can't do it. Like me, like, why have I waited so long to just go do freaking stand-up? Why am I making so many excuses? You did it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I think that's good. And, and it was interesting because, like, well, what, that's just it. I'm like you. I wanted to. And 
the opportunity presented itself. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I got a chance to just say, okay, now I can fully jump into it. I've been doing stuff at church, stuff at home, stuff with friends. And back in 2011, July 2011, they had this program, this fundraiser called Realtors Got Talent. And it was at the start on Comedy Club. I was like, this is my opportunity. It's at a live comedy club, not just with my friends, because I think I knew about maybe personally 30 people there. But it was over 400 people there. So I said, this is my time. If I can get up here in front of these people and pull it off, fine. I can keep going. But if I don't, I can say, okay, this is not for you. Because like I said, I only personally knew about 30 people in that room. And it was over 400 and some people at the start on. Standing room only. And I'm like, let's go. This is your time. <laughs> Pull it off, and it worked. And people are like, how long you been doing stand-up? And I'm like, oh, that's my first one. <laughs> that <laughs> was the hours, first go-round. Yeah. yeah, about two hours and 15 minutes ago. Yeah, so, so it was a great experience. But you, I just, once I made up in my mind, yeah. and just like with you, when you make up in your mind, you're going to do it. Yeah. I, I really love that about you. So... I guess we're going to wrap it up, but I feel like I could talk to you forever. Oh, my goodness. This has been great, Jim. I knew it would just be a breeze. I really appreciate you doing it. Um, You don't know. I mean, like, this to me is like the real deal. Like, you're a superstar in my book. Oh, thank you so much. And I mean that. I'm not just saying that. I really mean you're, you're, you're great. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for having me. And I really we'll appreciate sh- it. We'll make sure we get a picture of you with that fabulous Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Is there well, anything you. else you wanted to say before uh, we... No, I just want to tell you I appreciate you having me here and... Everything I do, my goal is to hopefully inspire somebody. When I get off stage and somebody can say, when you said this, I felt like you were talking to me. In a speech, if they feel like they said, I can change the way I'm going to look at this. If they read the book and they said, you know, I'm encouraged to go and do this myself. Like I got a friend, she said she's been writing a book now for 20 years. She's finished start writing. Yeah. So if I can do anything that's going to encourage somebody else to get up and do what they feel like they really can do. Not what we necessarily can go and make money doing. Not like we can't make money with all this cultural arts. But what I'm saying is never knocking a nine to five because we got to have people doing nine to fives. We got to. Otherwise, we couldn't survive. You know, we go certain places. But when you know in your heart that you got other things in you other than that nine to five, that you would just go out and do it. Just make the first step. Make that first step and do it. Amen. Yes. That's a great way to end. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Where You Are, a podcast created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. The introductory music was Bright in the Corner Where You Are, a song performed by Billy Pollard and created by Ina Dudley Ogden and Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. The interlude music, Dead Inside, was taken from the Little Spoon album by Patricia Taxon. All music was used with permission. Thank you again for listening, and have a nice day, wherever you are.